we just welcome you guys this morning. We thank you for spending your Sunday with us. And last year, as I, or last year, last week, as I dove into the, the, the passage for the week, I warned everybody. I had to apologize because I knew it was such a harsh passage. And then, you know, you read ahead and you find out that the one we're giving today is even worse. And so I'm like, ah, oh, man. Um, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, specifically verses 21 through 23. So if you guys would turn there, you can say word when you get there. Uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, just a little bit of background. Uh, this morning we're going to be working through the book of Matthew together, and we've been doing that for quite some time. We've been in the book of Matthew since the fall, I think, and we've been in this portion of the book of Matthew specifically through COVID, through quarantine, and then up until now, where Jesus began to teach, and the, the, the section of scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, as we come to the end of this, pat, the, the closing of his sermon, his most famous sermon ever, we're going to find that the way that Jesus taught was different than the way that other teachers taught during Jesus' time. Uh, Jesus taught not just as somebody with authority, but, but somebody who had great authority, like beyond, like somebody who was just, it, it was supernatural, the authority that Jesus taught with. It was unparalleled authority that he taught with. And so as Jesus was teaching, what was happening? Lives were being changed by the teachings that Jesus was giving, like transformed completely. Uh, the, the, the things that he was saying were so mind-blowing. The things that he was saying were so earth-shattering, so countercultural, so amazing uh, that, that at, the, at that time that they would end up shaping human history for 2,000 years up to this point. And so the sermon that Jesus preaches, again, is called the Sermon on the Mount, and it really is Jesus' inaugural address to his disciples. And understand this, that Jesus has begun his ministry, he's 30 years old, um, and he's beginning to say, listen, like, I want you to know what following me is all about. I, I want you to know that there's this invisible kingdom that I'm establishing that, that, that's not a kingdom like anything else that you've ever seen. Because the kingdoms that they knew were kingdoms that had soldiers and, and palaces and all of these things that are typically associated with, with kingdoms. And they were conquering and they were powerful. They were all of those things. And Jesus says, he says, I, I, I'm bringing an altogether different kingdom to you. Where, where the way of this kingdom, instead of conquering by force, Jesus goes on to say things like, you're going to conquer by laying down your life to serve. The way of this kingdom, instead of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and repaying people evil with evil, it's this kingdom that says, love your enemy. It's this kingdom that says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you, which would have been this earth-shattering, mind-altering, countercultural teaching that Jesus would have been given to these, giving to these people. And it's continued to be the most unique teaching that has ever been given in history. And so as we've been studying through this, we've been walking through this, we've been journeying through this together through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming to the end of this sermon, and as Jesus is kind of bringing this sermon to a close, he said, listen, I, I want you to know what it's like to follow me. I want you to know what this kingdom that I'm establishing is going to be all about. And so as I close this, I want you to know that there are going to be some people that are going to try to come in, and they're going to try to lead you out of the kingdom that I've brought you into. 
They're, they're going to try to help you begin to see things their way and to follow their agenda. But my kingdom, Jesus says, my agenda is altogether different than what other people are going to try and lead you astray towards. And so Jesus ends the sermon with some warnings. And we got into one of them last week. The first one he gave that we went over last week, he warned against false prophets and false teachers, people who would use their words as the word of God to lead people astray. And next, Jesus is going to share about not teaching, not false teaching, not words that will be used to lead people astray, but that people would have actions, that they would do things that could cause people to be led astray. And Jesus is warning this group of people, and he warns us today that, that, that we ought not to be derailed by people who are acting in a way that would lead us away from Jesus. So it's a harsh word that Jesus brings this morning. It's something that I really hope you pray on your way here on Sunday mornings. Do you, do you guys seek the Lord on your way here? Because I, I've said this before, but like if we come here to do platitudes to God, to just sing some songs and hear a good uh, message or a mediocre message in my case um, and then we leave here on Sundays and that's kind of the extent of it I would rather not do this at all because we come here this morning to open up the word of God we come here this morning to open up our hearts that he's given us to bear before him and ask him to come in and do a work in us that only the creator of the universe can actually do and we grant him authority to come and do that work. And so maybe some of you are like, whoa, this dude's way too serious for me. Uh, your friend brought you this morning, and you're like, can I please leave? Um, you're stuck here for like another, I don't know, 85 minutes. Uh, no. uh, but it won't be that long, uh, 60. But I want to pray this morning and give this time to the Lord because I, I want him to do something in us through his, his teaching this morning. Jesus we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning as we get to do every week, Lord. And I just, it doesn't pass me that um, we are just so fortunate to be in one room together, gathered as your church, singing songs and studying your word, Lord, and having the freedom to do so when even others in our country right now can't do what we're doing now. I pray, Jesus, that we would take advantage of this, Lord. This is a gift that you've granted us for your church to come together to glorify and honor and praise the most high God that created us. And so take your word this morning, God. Plant it in our hearts. Plant that seed, Lord, and cause it to spring up and begin to produce fruit, that we would not be a religious people that just do all the right things, but a people that are led in obedience to follow the most high God, that we would live lives that bear fruit for others to see and be pointed back to you. Jesus, we give you this morning, and we pray that you'd anoint this time in your name. Amen. You guys awake? All right, okay. It, it gets worse, I promise, but, and I'm really sorry. But Jesus, so again, he's warning this group of people um, that, that, that we ought not to be derailed by others who are acting in a way that would lead us away to Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in this text, as Jesus has been teaching this message. He's been inviting us into a space where we recognize that his way is actually better than our own. Amen? Uh, he, he's, been, he's been inviting us into the space that leads us into life and freedom rather than death and destruction. And Jesus is saying, you've been designed differently. 
Like he has a better plan for your life. He has a way for you to live that would not box you in or close you down, but that would give you life and freedom like you've never experienced before. And so Jesus said, I came to seek and save those who are lost and to bring them back into the path that leads to life and freedom. That was the purpose of Jesus's life. And so Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount are actually full of really good news. Everybody say good news with me this morning. Good news. It's full of good news. You may hear us at Anthem talk a lot about this word, the gospel, this phrase, the gospel. You'll, You'll hear us mention that term a lot. And really the term gospel is simply a term that just means good news. And Jesus is teaching his disciples good news. He's bringing the gospel to bear in this new and fresh way that nobody had ever heard this message before, a way that these people could not comprehend or understand as Jesus is delivering them something that almost seemed too good to be true. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning, Jesus giving good news. And he's closing out this sermon with some warnings that come along with his good news. So grab your Bibles. Um, and we're, we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, we have stacks of Bibles on that table over there. Um, I would encourage you, if you do not have a paper Bible, sometimes the Bible app is like the Groupon app, uh, where it's like on your phone and you just totally forget that it's there and you never use it. Um, I like to have a paper Bible. There's something really cool about that. And so there's six Bibles on that table over there. Take them. We have more. We'll restock them. But if you do not have a paper copy of the Bible, go grab one. Because I would encourage you to leave here today to open up the book of Matthew and start to read this for yourself. To literally digest the Word of God for yourself on a daily basis. Just take it in, passage by passage, as much as you can, and pray that God would give you understanding as you read through it and challenge your life and encourage your life and change the way that you live as a result of His Word. And so, we have Bibles over there if you want one. But the book of Matthew, it was a letter that was written to some people by one of the first followers of Jesus, one of his disciples. Matthew was an eyewitness of the life and the teachings of Jesus, and he was one of those first followers of Jesus who literally saw him resurrect from the dead. And so we we believe that what Matthew had to say in this book is really, really important. And so we want to encourage you to read his words because we believe that they're not just the words of Matthew, but also that Matthew was inspired by God, that these are the words of God penned by Matthew in the book that we, that we read. And so if you don't have a Bible, please get one. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anybody here grow up in the church? Did this verse just haunt you your whole life? Like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I know the Lord. (laughs) Is is the Lord literally going to say, like, depart from me? I didn't know you? Um... But the Jewish people, they'd been this oppressed people for for generations. And so at this time when this is being written, when when Jesus was living and teaching, the Roman Empire was oppressing the the nation of Israel. Like they were living under Roman rule at this time. 
And so they were looking for some good news in their life. Believe me, they were living under gnarly, gnarly rule by the Romans, oppressed. And Jesus is coming, is coming and he's saying, I'm going to establish a kingdom. And of course, for every Jewish person that would have heard that, they would have said, yeah, we're going to overthrow Rome. Like, you betcha, I'm in on this thing. Like, what's this going to take, Lord? You know, like, bring him now. Like, give us the weapons. Let's go to town and let's take it back. But what Jesus was actually saying is, I'm going to install a different kind of kingdom than you would imagine. Not one with armies, not one with battles, not one with war, but one with serving, one with giving, one with loving. And so it's good news that Jesus is bringing about to share. And so not to keep reiterating this point, but you have to remember that this is good news. Like I want you to know that before we even get into this text, because what we're reading together today does not sound like good news. But Jesus has just warned us about false teachers and false prophets. Last week, we talked about that. And he's going to give us another warning here in verse 21, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts by saying, not everyone, first of all, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody is going to make it. That there's a specific type of person that will actually be gained access into the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven is this kingdom that Jesus was establishing on this earth and that he's inviting people to come in and to be a part of. And so Jesus is expansive and Jesus is inclusive in the way that he's inviting everyone <coughs> to come be part of this kingdom. And this was a radical teaching at the time because at that time, most people's perspective is that there's one kind of person who can enter the kingdom of heaven and that's a Jewish kind of person. That, that would have been their perspective. If you're not Jew, you don't get access. At that time, the Jewish nation believed that the God of the universe who created everything was working in and through only the nation of Israel. And that the relationship that humanity could have with God had to come through Israel. And so if you weren't Jewish, peace. Like this was only for his chosen people. But Jesus is doing something really beautiful. This is good news for you and I. What Jesus is doing is he's establishing a kingdom that everybody is invited into. And what kind of news is that? You guys are so awesome. I'm so proud of you, you know? We can be done for the day and you can go home and just like write good news on your, on your walls at your house and um, that would be enough. It's good news. And so Jesus says some stuff that doesn't sound like good news because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter his kingdom. And so Jesus is saying not everyone will enter the kingdom that he's establishing. Some people will not enter this kingdom. They will not be part of this kingdom. And so that's tough news, isn't it? It doesn't sound super good. It actually sounds kind of tough. Everybody say tough news. Tough news. And then he says something even more difficult to wrap our brains around. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, my kingdom. That's really tough news. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, like literally calls him Lord. And so what does Jesus mean when he says this? Because I would think that, that people who are calling Jesus Lord would be in the club, right? You don't call him Lord unless you're in. I would think that people who are calling Jesus Lord will be part of this kingdom, this new thing that Jesus is establishing. But Jesus does not stop there. And that's what? 
Good news. It's good news. He doesn't stop there. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, but who does? And he goes on to say, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So at first, if you were just to stop here, if you were to take this particular teaching of Jesus completely out of text, context, cherry pick it and stop here, this could be a really confusing passage. Because if you don't understand the rest of Jesus' teachings, and we're going to get to those in a, in a few, but if you don't understand the rest of the teachings of Jesus, and especially if you grew up around church, especially if you grew up around Christian people, you could very easily interpret what Jesus is saying here in this statement, that only the people who do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. You could easily draw the conclusion that the way to be part of this kingdom is to what? Do all the right things. This is the church that we grew up in. Convincing us to do all of the right things. And it'd be a really easy mistake to make, but are we gonna make that mistake today? No, no, because what kind of news are we reading about? It's good news. And so he says there's this kind of person who's going to be in the kingdom of heaven, and that person is the person who does the will of his Father. And so there's something that the Father, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who created you and I, who, who has put his stamp on you because he made you in his image. There's something that he wants for us. There's something he desires for you and I. He did not create us and say, well, good luck. Have fun with this one. He actually had a desire for you. In 2004, my wife and I got some really, really, really good news. My wife was pregnant with our first son, and he's here. Where's Judah? Where's Judah? Somewhere here. Ah, uh, yes. Hi, Judah. Um, <laughs> In 2004, we got this really good news that my wife was pregnant with our first son. Um, it was kind of good news at the time because I was scared out of my mind and literally sat on the couch like, oh my gosh, how am I going to afford this? How is this going to work? I don't know how to be a dad. Like, I was scared about this, but it was really good news. And as a parent, when you find that out, you immediately move into planning mode in your life, don't you? You start arranging things, start getting... Uh, a nursery, and we moved into this apartment that finally had room for all of us. We, we set up a nursery. We began getting our lives in order and getting ready to bring this child into the world. But I had a plan for this little boy. Like, you better believe, like, I had a good plan for his life, right? There were things that I wanted to see happen in this boy's life. I had good desires for him. I had certain things that would be good for him. Like, for instance, I wanted him to have a good education, but more than that, I had desires for who he would become as a person. I had desires for the things that he might like, the kinds of things that he might enjoy in life. Hopefully, they were a lot like the things that I liked. I had desires. And, and you know, like I was a snowboarder and a skateboarder, and I hoped that he'd kind of be into some of these things. Um, but more than that, like I wanted him to love his friends, and I wanted him to be kind to others. And every father, every good father, has desires for their children. Anybody here that has a kid, did you not have good desires for your kids? Because you're going to get beat and taken outside, you know? Like you have these good desires for your kids. You want the best for them. 
And it's true of the God of the universe in a completely different way, who is the perfect father, that all of his desires for his kids are perfect. You see, my desires for my son were not perfect because what were they based off of? Me. What I hoped would happen in my son's life, what I hoped he would have, what I hoped he would see, what I hoped he would experience and like. My son could have come out of the womb not being able to do any of the things that I wanted so badly for him to do, and I could desire all the things in the world, but unless he has the tools and the skills and the abilities that it takes to accomplish those desires, then he wouldn't do any of the things that I desired for him to do. And so a human father has certain desires for his kids. But get this, our God, our Father, the one who made us and knows us, it says he knit us together in our mother's wombs. It says that he has good things for us, good desires that are perfect for us because he actually knows you inside and out. Your dad thought he had good things, good desires for you, nothing in comparison to what the creator of the world had for your life because he knew you inside and out before you were even in the womb, before you were conceived. He knew you inside and out and he knew exactly what you needed. He's perfect. And I'll come back to this next week when we talk through the last six verses in Jesus' teaching here because he sort of closes his sermon with what the will of the Father is. And we'll talk about that next week, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it today. But he continues with this tough news in verse 22. He says, now on that day, on that day. So he's talking about the final day, the judgment day, the day when we meet Jesus face to face, when we stand before him and give an account for our life, when we meet the God of the universe face to face and we're judged by the Lord and it's determined whether we knew him and had a relationship with him or not. And Jesus is saying on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Notice that it's uppercase L, uppercase L in your Bibles. Not the lowercase l, Lord, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So Jesus is saying there's this group of people. <laughs> What's interesting is he's not saying it's just a few. He says many who are going to come before the Lord on that final day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to give him lip service, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not do all the right things? And this list is not like some silly list of random, like, did I not pick up the trash in, that I saw on the side of the Lord, or on the side of the road in your name, Lord? Did, did I not, um, you know, when I was given the option to choose paper or plastic, I chose neither. You know, I did the right thing. Did I not do those things for you, Lord? These are not the silly things that he's talking about. But listen to this, Lord, Lord, what does he say? Did I not what? prophesy in your name? Did I literally not tell people what it is that you've said? What, what, what's, that, that, that's what prophecy is, is literally somebody communicating the words of God to other people. Did I not tell other people what it was you said? And in some ways, really even what I'm doing right now is, is prophetic in nature. Like in 
in, what, in that we're looking at what God has said and, and, and we're saying what God is saying about this and it would be easy for me to come to Jesus one day when I stand before him and say, well, Lord, I should be part of your kingdom because I did this. Like I'm justified, I did it. And as I look at this, like I personally this week began to feel this warning. Like it doesn't just go out to you, like I feel it. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And then it gets crazier. And he says, what? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And so this is what these people are claiming that they have done for God. And Jesus says, it's not about the people who've given me lip service. It's not about the people who've done these fantastic, amazing, miraculous things, but it's about the people who do the will of my Father. That's it. And this made me think about this story in the book of Acts in chapter 19. I don't mean for this to be like real scary, but this is a crazy story. There's this awesome story, like God was doing some amazing things to this guy named Paul, and he was actually one of the greatest enemies of Christianity to start. And so he's this opponent, someone who had killed Christians and had imprisoned Christians, and then on his way to go to imprison more Christians, the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth stops him dead on his tracks. Now, if that doesn't change your life, I don't know what does. And so Paul, who's one of the greatest opponents of Christianity, turns into one of the greatest proponents of Christianity. He has this radical transformation, and he begins to share the gospel, which is what? The good news with all people all over the world. And so the, the good news of who Jesus is all over, and God was using him in miraculous ways. And that's where we pick up, Acts 19, verse 11. It says this, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So who's doing the miracles? God. By whose hands? Paul. God's doing amazing miracles through the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, this is getting exciting, isn't it? You guys didn't know you were coming for like a thriller this morning. Some of you flip through the TV channels at night, and you watch cable TV. Anybody? No shame here. Who watches cable TV at night? It's all good. As you're flipping through the channels, you're bound to find a Christian television network trying to sell you some sort of potion or water or handkerchief, and their claim is like, if you buy this, if you sow into our ministry, you will be blessed. And it's a gross misuse of something that we see here in scripture. In fact, what Jesus warned us about last week, those false prophets, that we have to watch out for those types of people who are looking to profit off of the gospel, the good news, to exploit people from the gospel. Saying, if you have a sick grandmother, sow into my ministry, or I'll send you a handkerchief, and your grandma will be healed. And it's extremely, extremely damaging to the name of Jesus. And so we reject that sort of behavior altogether. Because look at Acts 19, 11. God was doing what kind of miracles? Extraordinary miracles, it says. And this is unique. Like, what God is doing in this moment is supernatural because Paul was tasked with taking the good news of Jesus all over the world. And so in order to validate the good news of Jesus, God did what kind of miracles through the hands of Paul? Extraordinary. Things unexplainable that people would see God through the things that Paul was doing. 
It wasn't Paul doing them, it was God, God doing them pretty, through Paul, but it's pretty awesome. And so here's what's crazy about when God starts doing that sort of thing. It usually attracts attention, right? People want to see it. They want to, they want to get a glimpse of it. So if social media existed at the time when, when Paul is walking this earth, these would have been viral videos, like people getting healed and demons being cast out. They would have gone viral. Paul would have had millions of Instagram followers because of what he was able to do and what God was doing through him. And, and some people decide, you know what? That's a pretty amazing trick that Paul's doing. Like, that looks cool. And what I like more than the trick that Paul is doing is I like the people and the attention that he's getting by doing the tricks that he's doing. And so maybe they whispered, you know, he, he really he talks about this Jesus character a lot. And he actually does these miracles in the name of this Jesus. And so these guys that are following Paul around and seeing the miraculous things that are being done are like, well, maybe, maybe we could do that too. Maybe we could get our own following. Maybe we could gain our own notoriety. And so listen to what it says in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Are these believers? No, they aren't. They're trying to get access to the same spirit that Paul had access to, and so they're adjuring the Jesus that Paul proclaims. And so let me ask you this. Does it sound to you like these Jewish itinerant exorcists knew anything about Jesus? Not that we know of. Did they know anything about Paul? Very little. They knew a little bit, but what were they doing? They were trying to use the name of Paul and use the name of Jesus to try to conjure up a miracle and then be able to take credit for, the, for it themselves. And so how well do you think this goes for these folks? If you haven't read Beyond, it gets really good. <laughs> Verse 14, it says, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. That's just a rad name, isn't it? It sounds so sketchy. Um, the name literally means mind reader. These seven sons were doing this. But listen to what happens. Verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? So imagine these seven guys, they're like, great idea, like let's adjure them by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, and then we'll get the credit for it. And so they roll up there, and there's this guy, he's in this house, this guy is demon-possessed, but just imagine for a second that they roll into this house and they say, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, come out of this guy. And But the evil spirits answered them. And that's when the, the music kind of turns and his head spins 360 degrees, degrees, his eyes turn bloodshot, and you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And he says this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Like, can you imagine, like, the hair standing up on your back? Like, what in the world is going on? Verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This is getting good, right? Okay. It's like WWE meets The Exorcist. It's a really bad situation. Verse 17, and this became known to 
all the residents of Ephesus. Like these poor guys, like who, could you imagine having that reputation? Oh, you're the guy that the evil spirit beat the junk out of and you had to run around the town naked and trying to get out of the house. But it says like, the reputation went through Ephesus. It says both Jews and Greeks knew, of, knew about this, and fear fell upon them all. And I love this part. And then it says, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus was honored. The name of the Lord Jesus was revered. Verse 18, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You know, when, when I read that passage, I think to myself, like, who in the world would do such a thing? Like, who would do this? Who in the world would try to utilize the name of Jesus and capitalize on it in that way? And I realize that it's an extreme example of what this is. But the point of what Jesus is trying to say is this. Look, I'm the God of the universe, and I'm not your tool to be wielded. That is not the purpose of this. One day, a lot of people are going to come to me and say, you know, Jesus, I did all of these things in your name. And you know what, Jesus? You owe me. And Jesus is saying, I think you've got the story all wrong. Because I don't owe you anything. <laughs> Do you remember who is the one who is Lord? not us. Who is it? It's Jesus. And so many will come saying, Lord, Lord, I did all of these things in your name. And here's the warning, and this is the warning that I think all of us should listen in on this morning. I, I want you to, to know that I actually hear this, and I actually hear the implications of this for myself as somebody who does this. I hear him deeply because my job as a pastor is what I actually make a living on. I mean, it's so hard sometimes to read this and then be like, I don't ever want to be that person. My, my job is kind of serving Jesus. I do things for Jesus. Like my nine to five and more is serving the Lord in his church. And it would be so easy for me to fall into the same trap that these people have fallen into. And this warning that Jesus gives, this is a warning that all of us should heed, but it most definitely is not lost on me. Because as I've been studying this week, this is something that God's been stirring in my own heart to remember that Jesus is not a tool for me to wield. I don't use him to get what I want. That his name isn't something that I can just throw around for Chris's personal advantage. That Jesus is someone who ought to be revered. That his name ought to actually be extolled. That his glory ought to be my number one priority in my life is to bring him glory in all that I do. And it would be so easy for me to fall into the trap. And so I hear this warning of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where it gets even more tough. Chapter 7, verse 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many of these people, and maybe even some of us, have come to Jesus trying to convince Jesus that the words that they have said and the things that they have done have actually put Jesus in their debt. 
basically what we're saying. You owe me, Lord, because I did this. And Jesus says, like, you've missed the point altogether. Because Jesus is wrapping up the sermon, there's this warning here not to be deceived by this type of people who claim to do great things in the name of God. There's, there's people who call themselves Christians that one day will meet Jesus face to face and they'll say, didn't I do all of these things in your name, Lord? And Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived while we're on this earth and be led astray because he has a kingdom that he's established and invited us into that he wants us to partake in. And so remember, he's talking about what his kingdom ought ought to look like. And he's saying, there are gonna be some people that are going to come and by the words that they teach and by the things that they do, they're gonna do, that they, they say things that are actually gonna lead people astray, away from God's kingdom. And Jesus thinks this is very serious business. People are going to follow after him, and they're not even going to be following Jesus, and yet they think that they are because they're doing miraculous things, and they're being led astray. But I want, what I want you to remember that, that everything that Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is what kind of news? It's good news. Like, I want us to think about what Jesus said, and I also want us to think about what Jesus did not say in this. In the Sermon on the Mount, did Jesus say, Depart from me, you didn't do enough good things. Did he say that? He did not say that. Let me tell you, religion, the kind of religion that human beings have made up in our world, religion says that there's this God or there are gods, there's these beings, these higher powers that are out there, and if I do enough good things, I'll actually be in these God's good graces. And so they live their lives to do these good things. And if you study the majority of religions, that's the perspective that's coming out. Like, and Jesus is offering us something refreshingly different, something totally unique, something amazing, news that's good news, better news than it's ever been told before. And Jesus did not say, depart from me, you did not do enough good things. He did not say that. Jesus also did not say, depart from me, you did too many bad things. He didn't say that. And some of us here this morning, we walk through these doors, we know we're here at a church, and maybe we've even even been going to church for a long time, but maybe for you, this is new to you this morning. And maybe it's something that, that you've not been involved with, but maybe you're showing up because you're here with some friends, and maybe there's some things that you've done in your life that you're extremely ashamed of, and maybe there are some things that you feel like if people knew about you, they would never want to be your friend. They would never want to love you. They would never want to be in any kind of relationship with you. And we think the same thing about God. We translate that over to God. We overlay that over him. If people will think that about me, if they knew about these things, then God definitely thinks that about me. And so I'll keep these things to myself and I'll live this life on my own and everything's just going to have to be okay. And we think that what we've done has gone far beyond the reaches of God's forgiveness. And I want you to see that Jesus did not say, depart from me, you did too many bad things. Jesus didn't say, depart from me, you didn't go to church often enough. Jesus didn't say, depart from me, you don't read your Bible enough. Depart from me, you don't pray enough. And I think this word enough is one of the most condemning words that we tell ourselves. 
And Jesus didn't say, you're not enough. Jesus said, depart from me. I've had it with you. You're a disappointment to me. He did not say that. What Jesus did say is he said, depart from me. I never knew you, is what he says. And I want you to know why the news that we've been talking about today is such good news. The reason that it's good news today is because it reveals that Jesus actually, what Jesus actually wants from you and I. He wants to know you. And that may sound cliche, but I want to let that settle in this morning. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. He doesn't want to know the Instagram version of me. He doesn't want the, like, hi, how are you, quick break room version of who I am. He doesn't want the version of me that I pitched to my boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband or other friends. He, he doesn't want the version of me that everybody else wants to see or the version that I put out there for others. Jesus actually wants to know you personally, you. And that's the will of the Father is to know you. Listen to this. Jesus said, those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven, and I want to know what the will of the Father is. Like if you go to the book of John, John 6, 40. I love it when Jesus makes things clear. Do you want to know what the will of the Father is? John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father. That's pretty easy, right? That everyone who looks on the Son, S-O-N, and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Anybody want to know what eternal life is? Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Pretty awesome when Jesus is so, people say they can't understand the Bible. But Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you want to know what it takes to enter the kingdom of God? It's not what you do. It's not what you say. It's not what people think about you. It's not the image that you present. It's not your works. It's not your past. It's not your present. It's not your future. It's not your accomplishments. It's that you get invited by the God who created you and who desires to know you. You get invited into his kingdom, and that's how you get in. How? Not good news. Kind of good news. By knowing him. You want in? Know the Father. It's interesting, later in the, the book of Romans, when Paul writes, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A passage that all of us know. And I do think that Jesus has made it that easy. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And I think if you look at the people that Jesus says he denies in Matthew 7, it's people that confess with their mouth all the time, talk, 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 but the confession was not in tandem with their heart that actually believed. And so if you're struggling this morning, you're like, I don't ever want to stand before the Lord and have him say, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, the answer is very easy. Have you confessed with your mouth that he is Lord? And in tandem... Do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? And the word says you'll be saved. Confess and believe. And only you each individually know if this is actually the case. And this is the hard part. As I can stand up here and I can like quote all of this and talk about this. 
and you are the only one that knows your heart. But I will say this, somebody who confesses and believes lives a life that's dropping good fruit for others everywhere, as we talked about last week. Their lives produce good fruit. They live in obedience to the Lord. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and I'm gonna very simply leave you guys with a quote, and I want you to stick with me because the quote's kind of long, and it's kind of in Old English, but it's by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Anybody ever read Tozer? Um, He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and um, he sort of answers this question, what does it take to be part of the kingdom of God? And I want to leave you guys with this quote and then pray for you, and then we're going to take some time to like do business with the Lord. He said this, you have to tune in because some of it's hard to understand. Being made in his image, we have within us the capacity to know him. In our sins, we lack only the power. The moment the Spirit has quickened us to life and regeneration, our whole being senses its kinship to God and leads up, it leaps up in joyous recognition. That is the heavenly birth without which we cannot see the kingdom of God. It is, however, not an end, but an inception. For now begins the glorious pursuit, the heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead. That is where we begin, I say, but where we stop, no man has yet discovered, for there is in the awful and mysterious depths of the triune God neither limit nor end. And then he goes into kind of poem, and he says, shoreless ocean, who can sound thee? Thine own eternity is round thee, majesty divine. He goes on to say, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too hastily satisfied, easily satisfied, too easily satisfied religionist, but justified and happy experience by the children of the burning heart. St. Bernard stated this holy paradox in a musical quatrain that will be instantly understood by every worshiping soul, and he ends with this. We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountain head, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. This morning, what Jesus shares at the end of his Sermon on the Mount is incredibly, incredibly good. Because what Jesus says is that to enter the kingdom of God, there's not anything that you can do to be counted worthy. But Jesus has done everything to count us worthy so that we may know him and that he may know us and that this is good news because the depths of the knowledge of God are inexhaustible. We could spend every single hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every every decade until we're old and gray and we will only have scratched the surface on the depths of the riches of the beauty of the God who wants to know us. Don't waste this life. There's so much to get to know about him. And he already knows everything about you. And if you don't remember anything else that I said this morning, remember this. This is good news. And the good news is that the God who created you actually wants to know you, and he's actually made a way for you to know him. And that way, his name is who? Jesus. Jesus. This is good news. 
Would you stand with me? And bow your heads. If you're with us this morning, if you're still with me, maybe you're tuned out, it's all good. Um, I'll reiterate this. The God of the universe wants to know you. And he's not distant. He's actually right here. And the Bible's clear that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it sounds pretty easy. Like to start this journey, to on-ramp into the kingdom is basically denying yourself claiming him as Lord, as master, as king, and believing that Jesus was who he said he was, that God sent him as his only begotten son to live this life, to die a brutal death, to forgive your sins, to atone for your gnarly actions. That it wouldn't be by anything you did that you'd be saved, but it'd be all by what Jesus did by his grace for each one of you. And if you're here this morning and you've never called upon the name of Jesus, confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, today's your day. Like why wait another day when you can start now getting to know this God that loves you deeply and created you? For you believers in this room, if you're like me, I hope that this passage stirred up some level of just like concern in your heart. Is it possible that we can confess him and do for him, but never actually know him? Yes. And if that might be you this morning, don't waste another day, man. Believe. Trust your heart, your soul to the most high God. Let the actions overflow, man. Like the fruit that our life bears is a result of our obedience and our surrender to Jesus. It's not what things we go do to earn our way into his kingdom. The only thing you do to make your way into his kingdom is believe in him as king of kings and lord of lords. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray this morning that we would all just embrace this amazing truth that Jesus, the God of the universe, came for us, that he lived for us, that he died for us, and then he resurrected for us, that we could know him, that, that we could have eternal life. And God, I pray for every person here that you would show us what it means to know you, that we would long to know you, that we thank you for this good news that you've provided for us. And I pray that not one would leave this room this morning without latching onto that good news, taking ownership of it, and surrendering their life to the Most High God. Lord, we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. We believe in our hearts that you are the miraculous Son of God, Most High, Messiah, Savior, that died on the cross for our sins that did not say there, that rose from the dead and granted us eternal life and sent his Holy Spirit to abide within us, that we would continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus with the Spirit of God in us for the rest of our duration of breaths on this earth. Bless your church and be with each individual in this room, and I pray as we go, God, that you'd use your word to challenge us to go deep into our hearts. We want to be a people completely sold out for you and not to any distraction 
or anything in this world that's vying for our attention, God. Only you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.